listening to the Food Talk Show. Hello there, my name is Sue Nelson and uh, for the next hour we're going to be talking about all things food and drink and uh, I'm, I'm welcoming my fellow presenters which is Guy Routledge from Sapling Digital and the Food Rush. Hello Guy. Hello Sue. You know we've been on our own for the last three weeks. We've been on our own for the last three weeks. You might need to explain that. In terms of presenting, yes, Ollie's staying to turn up this week. Oh, yes. yes. He's so, sitting right opposite me. Well, I barely noticed him. Well done. Ollie Lloyd's just managed to turn up from Great British Chef. Hello, we missed you. I know. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. There's, less Welcome ba- back. there's less banter. Really? Yeah. because we Is that my role, the banter well, Yeah, because we <laughs> like each other. But, you know, when you come along, it's sort of, you know, we've got somebody to take the mickey out of, haven't we, Guy? Well, yeah, it's Basically. nice because then you don't all gang up on me. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. But it's lovely to see you back. Um, anything exciting happening? Great British chefs are just really, really busy. Just really busy. We're, we're, um, we're about three quarters of the way through shooting our first cookbook. Um, and mm-hmm. we did a beautiful cover shoot the other day with uh, bringing the logo to life with a whole collection of chef's knives. And we put out to our community which of the two covers they want to choose. And I think three and a half thousand people voted. <gasps> and Amazing. And 75% of people voted for one choice. So, so that, that was, was easy. That, yeah, that was, that was good. Nice. Well, we're joined um, today by Catherine Jenner from Burning Barn Rum. Hi, Catherine. Hi there. I love it because what you've done is... Um, Obviously, this show goes out at different times, but actually it's 11 o'clock in the morning here on a Monday. And you've brought two beautiful, almost like flagons, glass flagons of rum with you. I have. Yeah, these are our two products. And I think it would be rude of us not to try this later, even though it's the morning (laughs) and it's Monday. Start as you mean to go on, I say. Exactly. And we're also joined by the lovely Holly Shackleton from Speciality Food Magazine, who just knows everything about everything about food. So thank you. Hello. Pressure's on now. Yeah, it is, it is. Are you you up for tasting some rum later? Always. Always. Good, good, good. So we're going to start with you, um, Catherine. Now, um, can you tell me a little bit about, you know, the history of rum? I I mean, I believe it it originated in the Caribbean, have I got that right? Yes, exactly. So that's uh, where the bulk of the world's rum is made. um, And we get ours from there as well. And and rum is is made from molasses um, traditionally? Uh, Molasses or sugarcane, but predominantly molasses and ours is made from molasses and and started being made something like the 17th 18th century when all the sugar plantations were there and and molasses was a byproduct of 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 that process yeah and i guess we see that quite a lot you know even now what do we do with this byproduct don't want to throw it away (laughs) we must be able to do something with it and obviously somebody got a great idea that they could make something boozy out of it exactly so it started out um sort of poor people could make it it was very cheap to make and like you say a byproduct obviously it's um progressed over the years and there's lots of aging done now so you can get extremely expensive rums these days so yeah and, and traditionally I, i'm used to thinking of it as a sort of dark color is, is that is that normal or is that just a just a modern thing um there's white rums golden rums dark rums um and the color is achieved through various different means mm. so caramels added to make it dark but also it adds colour through the ageing process, um, depending on what's been aged in. And um, when I'm going back to your, you know, how you started this, now you've got, which is what I'm quite excited by, <laughs> you've got the first, UK's first smoked rum. 
Right, tell us about that then. Because Guy likes anything smoked, don't you, Guy? Oh, I just there's something about it, like smoked paprika or uh, smoked cheese, like applewood or something like that. Smoked almonds, they're great. Smoked almonds, yeah. I mean, I don't know what it is about that smoking process, but it just adds another dimension of flavour, and it's just, mm. oh, it just gets my taste buds Do going. you do home smoking? Mm. I don't. Um, I uh, I think we mentioned one of these, the smoke gun on the show yep. a while back, and I, and I met a guy at a trade show a couple of years ago who had an at-home smoking device. Um, but I've, you know, I've tried to resist because I haven't, I'm running out of space in my kitchen for all of these You've fabulous gadgets. Gadget, I've got almost you? everything. Do you smoke stuff at home? You do all sorts I, of things. Well, I use my big green egg to, mm. I suppose, achieve that process. Um, but I don't, I do have a home, you know, one of those sort of tray smokers. But I have to say, I've never unwrapped it. It was one of those really good ideas that were for one Christmas, I think two years ago, still in the back cupboard. Well, you might be trying this smoke yeah, and change your mind, mind yeah. mightn't you? Mightn't you? So, so c- can you explain literally from start to finish how, how, how you came up with this smoke from? Well, it's interesting how you mentioned about the home smoker because we started experimenting in our kitchen with a cocktail mini smoking gun. Um, so that's basically how we started experimenting with the flavour. Um, the actual inspiration for it came from the fire that happened on our family farm um, almost three years ago now. So we wanted to create something that was really forged from that adversity. And the smokiness came from the fire. So the, the inspiration for the flavours came from that. And we ended up settling on applewood as the means to smoke it. Um, so you get so so is that because different woods literally have different smells and flavours and therefore exactly. whatever wood you use that does impart some flavour yes it's, it's incredible how much um, it imparts actually with relatively little smoke and we did experiment with lots of different types of wood and blends of wood um, but actually a bit of serendipity really when we tried the apple wood which actually is on the same site as the bar and we have apple trees on the site that was the best flavour that we That's came weird, up with isn't it? Isn't yeah. It yeah, yeah so hang on a minute you're you're Family farm burnt down, which sounds quite tragic, mm. which we've just kind of breezed over a little bit. Yeah. And then you, your first thought was, I know, we should uh, we should take this <laughs> smouldering ash and turn it into a delicious spirit. Well, we'd already be thinking about diversifying the business and thinking of different things we could do, like biofuel or turning the apples into something else, because mm. um, the apples are currently made into toffee apples. Um, and then the kind of idea for rum came from our own love of rum and sort of frustration in the market that there wasn't the same choice for us as rum drinkers as there were for gin drinkers and we kind of saw it as an opportunity to fill that gap Mm. and try and provide some craft credentials Mm. so in terms of rum then um you've got a i presume you've got a distiller who's who's doing the base rum for you and then what you're doing is you're infusing it with different things and smoking it is that that yes exactly so the same base spirit for both rums and then we spice we infuse we hand roast the spices and infuse them for uh, different amounts of time to impart the, the oh, ultimate sounds, flavor the really optimum nice. flavor profile and the smoked yeah we smoke mm. with the apple with so the you've got a, a guyanese dark rum and you've you've infused that with vanilla allspice a bit of chili yes so we oh, wanted goodness. it to be Coconut, spicy ginger yeah <laughs> so wow. it's going to be called a spice drum we wanted it to have a bit of a kick to it and we wanted to provide that point of difference where it's not as sweet as your classic spice rum on yeah. the market, like yeah. a Captain Morgan's. And and how are you supposed to drink rum? 
I mean, I, I imagine putting Coke in it is the worst thing it possibly do. I mean, that's just sacrilege, isn't it? Well, it's very popular to drink it like that with a spice drum. That's the classic. Is it? Um, well, well recognised, popular. Oh, well, surely that alters the flavour, does flavour profile, doesn't it? They work quite well together though, because you've got the caramel in the in the cola and the caramel or molasses base in the mm. rum. So they they do actually kind of work together. So yeah, spicy and Coke is pretty. Mm. Uh, classic. You can always go with the approach, which is you drink the alcohol neat first over ice. And then you add the mix. And once the edge has been taken off the day, then you can just ease into it with a slightly longer <laughs> Now they're talking like the voice decon- of experience. Sounds that like was Friday night, cocktail. actually. <laughs> we would recommend our spice drum with a cola, but perhaps not Coke. Just, mm. uh, you know, a, a Dalston. more... Dalston. Exactly. Yeah. Cola. Exactly. A more right. premium cola. cola. Very yeah. Good. yeah. Okay. So um, uh, are we allowed to taste some then? Of course. So, so what should we do? Should we just taste the normal one and then the smoked one so that we can tell the difference? Is that, is that the yeah. way it works? So um, what, Joe, what? our producer down the end. Joe, would you mind just helping, um, um, just, you know, uh, pouring? Uh, that's what so we while need. We're, while we're doing that, I just want to mind a, a, a quick thought on, um, yeah, on the rum market. Yeah, so, Because mm. rum is a lot less developed in the UK mm. as a spirit. I mean, it's sort of what? It's, it's gin, vodka... And then rum quite far down. Where is rum? Where's rum in the pecking order? Well, rum is obviously incredibly popular kind of across the UK, but it's more mainstream brands that are kind of making the most of it and cashing in on the market. But like Bacardi and Bacardi, people like that. Yeah. yeah, Captain Morgan, things oh, that's like it. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, obviously the, the craft gin market has massively, it's hugely established now, as is craft beer. And cocktails vodka. as well. Yeah, yeah. cocktails, even pre-mixed cocktails, you know, they... They're kind of catering for discerning customers as well these days. Mm. World of Zing. We love the World of Zing pre We do like the oh, World of Zing. They're very good. I've got to buy some more of those, actually. They yeah. actually, uh, we ran the first year of our new producer awards last year. They won our crowdfunded category. Wow. And they are absolutely amazing. Oh, look, yeah, we've had Pratesh on the uh, programme. He's such a character as well. Just to, just to answer your um, question, Ollie, um, in the last five years, UK rum sales have grown 15% by volume and 32% by value. So if it's grown that much by value, I'm, I'm guessing that there's more artisan, uh, yeah. you know, stuff coming through. Or um, even the big guys are starting to sort of yeah, see an exactly. opportunity to trade up mm, beyond exactly. the kind of... Uh, there were around 50 rum brands in 2006 and more than 150 in 2016. Wow. So it's definitely growing. But and, when um, you walk into an off-license, you don't, no, you don't, you don't see, see it often. as clearly. No, no, definitely. And Brits bought almost 34 million bottles of rum in 2016. So that's nearly a billion pound market in the UK. So it's not, not to be sniffed at. It's no? not too far off gin, actually. It's sort of the same, almost it. the same market yeah. share. Yeah. Is it? Mm, interesting. Mm. I think How are you doing cutting lime down there? Are we, are we getting anywhere close to <laughs> getting a drink? I think we need one of those Savanac knives. It's, I uh, think we need a proper <laughs> yeah. knife. You've well, got, got a them. knife that you might as well cut that with a spoon, to be honest with you. You've got a straw to cut that. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, so Credit what, card. Yeah. So what you're doing then is we're going to have your normal spiced rum mm-hmm. uh, and forged from the fire. That's good. Burning balm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you're just going to... Pour that, add a little bit of water, or what are you suggesting? A bit of squeeze of lime? I would just try it straight, first of all. I see that blooming guy's got one already. You've, You've got, got one in front of you, oh, you oh, oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> He's just hiding behind your microphone. Okay, got it, got it, got it. I How think yours is uh, a larger pour than Ollie's. As it should be. Um, <laughs> and if you'd like to try it with a mixer after that, I would suggest a squeeze yes. of lime and a splash of ginger ale. Afterwards, okay. So, so we're going to try that. is this the smoked one? The no, spice that's, one. The normal. that's the normal. Smells amazing. Oh, smell that. But I can smell vanilla quite strongly on that. Mm. Mm. Taste? Ollie? You should hopefully pick up, yeah, the vanilla, the coconut on the nose, and then the spice, the chilli, ginger comes through on the palate. Oh, it's gone up straight on my nose. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. 
Ollie, you need to say something. That it's the radio. That, that definitely makes Monday feel better. It's giving me a little shiver down my oh, spine. It has got that nice little warmness at the end, though. I mean, not just because it's a neat spirit we're drinking, but it, you can you can get that kind of gingery heat, which is a bit kind of more subtle than a chilli. Mm. It's the coconut for me and the vanilla. I feel on the nose, on. I would say. Really Maybe nice. not so much on the on the does palate. It doesn't finish like that, does it? No. No, it's very nice. But yeah, Holly, any thoughts down your end? I really, really like the kick at the end. So it's just you get the kind of lingering chilli heat. So it's not mm. just the kind of a little bit chilly, base spice flavours mm. that you mm. get in kind of more mainstream brands. It's You get a little tweak at the end. Mm. That's what we're so aiming good. for. Yeah, so mm. when you also when you mix it in a cocktail or something like ginger ale, it comes through the end as well. So you still taste the kick, the spiciness. Mm. Mm. Should we have a little mm. bit of ginger ale and a squeeze of lime? Have you finished all yours? Are you still... No, no, no. I'm, 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 I'm still yeah, going. On mm. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so this is with ginger ale. So you're recommending ginger ale? That, yeah, that sounds quite ale. a good. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's a good alternative to something guys like a, a gin and tonic. Yeah, guys. Uh, sure, I have a top, top up. Why not? Up there. Yeah. Ginger ale with gin, I've had recently as well, which is really good with certain kinds of gins. Mm. Really. Mm. Really, really nice. I went to a gin festival sometime last year at the Tobacco Dock in uh, in the Docklands in London. Uh, where there were just walls and walls and walls of, of all different shapes, sizes of bottles, different colours. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. And uh, I think Fever Tree were a sponsor there. And they, they had their tonics of all different shapes and sizes, but also uh, their um, their ginger ale as well. And it, it worked really, really well with, with some of the gins. Really interesting. Clink, clink. Yeah, this um, is a really good long drink, we would yes, suggest. So, um, we've got a little squeeze like of lime, uh, some ginger ale, and we've got the same drink again. So that's just the normal uh, burning barn rum. Burning mm. barn spiced. Burning barn spiced. Uh, right, I'm going to have a taste of that. Holly, are you assorted there? Um, yes. I was going to ask for a little bit more rum, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's kicking happy, off here happy already. Monday. Happy mm. Monday. Now, I, I, that is a very nice long drink. Mm. But I prefer it. You prefer it neat. (laughs) Still in a long measure. Well, maybe with some ice, actually. Mm. Yeah, I think Um, over ice it would be good. Just chill mm. it down a bit. Mm. Yeah, it's quite a personal choice for how you want to drink it. But this is very summery. Exactly. Mm. A nice alternative to Pims and lemonade, I think. Do you know, I was just thinking the same. That's Mm. much nicer than Pims, I think. It's dark and stormy, is what it's called, isn't it? Yeah. Rum and. Oh, is it? When we mix it with a smoked dark and smoky. Yeah. Which mm. again, I, I often bring this back. The arak <laughs> thing is, you know, the arak and ginger beer type thing, which is one of my favourite drinks. If you find somebody who makes it, I'm we'll try I'm, it. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get. Right, that we'll help then. And keep, yeah. Stop to keep talking about it and get somebody on here <laughs> that makes it, and then you can, then you can, you can go on. For Remind us what arak is again. It's some kind of it's weird coconut. Just yeah, oh, the, oh, the Sri Lankan mm. coconut spirit. Yeah. Mm. I've never had it, so yeah. I'd like to try well, that. We, uh, mm. I'll try and sort it. You'll probably never have it again, from what I've no. Holly, nice long drink for you? Um, I am actually a fan of neat drinks sometimes. I Um, I thought it was nice. Yeah, Mm. like for example, my favourite, well not my favourite spirit, but my favourite one to have neat is always the Chase Marmalade Vodka. I do like that. Just as it is. And it's quite bitter, but you don't need anything with it. And I think that's kind of the sign of a good spirit, that it's smooth enough to enjoy as is. On it, on its and it's own. got enough flavours that, um, mm. that come out on its own. Do you, but do you think most people are drinking rum with a mixer or straight? I think so. I think they're, they're mixing. mixing it generally. Yeah, so the rum rum and ginger beer or ginger ale is quite a recognised mixer and then the Coke as well. So. And it is a good base for um, for cocktails, of course. All Absolutely, sorts of cocktails. yes. Yeah. Yeah, so good. we'd highly recommend our smoked rum in an old-fashioned 
Mm. It's really. That's, that is my favourite. <laughs> that is my favourite cocktail. It was a chorus of <laughs> yeah. approval. Yeah, yeah with a twist of pink grapefruit, just really oh, nice. sets it off. Well, okay, so shall we go on? You've you finished yours again, guys. Shall we go on to the Sorry, smoke? Just, you work this podcasting business. You know, smoke, I, should, I, should, I should raise this with you, Sue, because I know you're now a, a convert of the sous vide world. Oh, shut yes, up. I was looking the other day at how you kind of make your own sort of cocktails with sous vides and how you, mm. you know, take stuff oh. like rhubarb and, and vodka and then star anise and you kind of leave it, I think, about 60 degrees for a number of hours and then you cool it in the fridge overnight and then can... <gasps> I haven't tried that yet. I know, I haven't. I was thinking Brilliant. actually it might be... Have um, you got any recipes on your Great British Chef for that? Yeah, you we should. have got some cocktails. Okay, and and okay. I know Alex has got a whole bunch on sous vide tools. They do a lot with um, some of the uh, cocktail guys I out there. look that up. It's quite interesting. It's mm. quite interesting because I think, you know, really fun infuses. to add different yeah. flavours to these things. Right, so this is a smoked rum. And again, um, as we said earlier, this is smoked with English applewood from your orchard. Um, no, no artificial additives or flavourings. Have we still got the vanilla or spice chili coconut, or we what, don't is it a know. Different this combination? is just the dark rum and the mm. smoke. Mm. Yeah, so the smoke Smell mellows that. really well with the mm. with the dark rum. And so this, in in a way, this is a simpler uh, 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 recipe, but 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 stronger flavour, I would imagine. I would say more unique, definitely. More unique, yeah. I think I've still got the uh, the aftertaste of uh, of the vanilla and the and the ginger oh, and the chili in my glass because I can't smell the smoke so much, but I'm going to oh, taste okay. it now. You it really tastes of of wood and smoke. Mm. Really, really does. Mm. I used that have you ever used liquid fab. smoke, which is liquid smoke, which is a cooking ingredient yeah, you can false, use. Though, it's it? a bit false, yeah. um, but it's quite fun to bring that that flavour oh. in. It's really nice. Wow, yeah, the fl- the flavour is amazing. That, is, that actually, oh, thank you. That actually feels like you have walked into somewhere that is burnt down. Honest. Yeah. Well, again, with the smoked, we want to, if it's going to call it smoked rum, it's mm. going to be smoky. Mm. And pretty it's a real smoky. feature of it, yeah. yeah. So when we were introducing this, Sue, so you said this was the first smoked rum in the UK. Does cool. that mean there's a large category of smoked rums around the world, or is this something that... Not really. There's a, there's one in New Zealand um, that we know of, So, but we don't know how they're actually adding the smoke flavour. Um, so we believe we're the only people who are physically having contact with smoke and rum. So, um, how, so how exactly do you do that then? Well, I can't tell you every... Oh, no, Tracy. secret. No, no, no. But just... But uh, we... So we harvest and chip the wood. Yeah. Um, and we have a vessel that we put the rum in. So mm. It actually used to be an old apple juice tank. So a big stainless mm. steel vessel with an oak lid. And the smoke comes in literal contact with the rum in that tank. And that's so it. it goes mm. through the liquid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting because there's a couple of different approaches to doing gin mm. and botanicals, isn't there? You can either steep them or you can do like, I'm not sure if this is the same thing, but you can like distill the, the spirit with the botanicals in quite it. Quite a lot of Are they the had, same? I'm just, not sure. Quite a lot of people just add the juice of it and that's cheating as far as I'm concerned. Mm, it's, yeah. it's, and it's not as subtle, is it? No, no, exactly. Mm. So I wonder, I, I mean, I can't even think of any other ways of getting the smoke in there, but it sounds, uh, yeah, I mean, it, the, the end result is brilliant yeah. and, and like nothing I've ever tasted before. No, Thank you very much. Holly, thoughts? Uh, do you like smoky stuff? I do. Yeah, I do I love too. smoky stuff, but mm. it's so easy to get it wrong. It can mm. be overpowering. And also it can taste kind of chemically. Yeah. And um, I think sometimes lots of producers add sweetness to balance it out. And so some cheeses, smoked cheeses, can end up mm. slightly overly sweet as well. Well, the, but the, there is a, a quite a, um, popular cheese, which is smoked applewood cheddar, I believe. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and But I think in most cases they don't use actual real smoke from mm. applewood trees it's some kind of chemical uh, compound that they use for that you're not suggesting that particular brand does that though are you guy 
no. It, I didn't know that was a brand name. No, but Applewood Smoked, I think, is, is a... Is a just, I'm just making no, no, sure no, no, you don't get sued after a, this programme. Well, just like cheddar isn't a brand of cheese, it's a, yeah, you know, a okay, region cool. of cheese. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's a fairly common mm. uh, flavouring to, uh, to add to cheese. I really like this with rum, though, because there's something about that sugary molasses i don't i don't know that that really somehow matches the the smokiness quite well mm, and it's not it's, it's not really a sweet balanced. drink yeah um but it's not sour either but but i really like those combination of those two things i can see yeah. that being highly popular during the sort of barbecue season mm. when you're out there exactly. you know in Food the pouring pairing. rain yeah you know miserable <laughs> about the fact that you're, you're barbecuing this country rather than down under wondering why on earth you're doing it rather than having a ready meal but that could actually cheer you up exactly mm. also in winter sitting by the fire yeah. Smoked rum, paper, yeah, perfect. I was Brilliant. going to say, kind of sitting around a bonfire in the summer, my summer evening, it's just, just take getting, me there. Just, yeah. getting, just getting dark, just getting but dark still warm. Dusky, yeah. I know, perfect. let's get the spiced smoky rum out. That would be perfect, <laughs> wouldn't it? Absolutely perfect, perfect. Yes, yeah. So it's called Burning Barn, and we all know why now, um, and I really like the smoked rum, uh, very much so. And there's also the key question, where is it available? Well, we're available online, uh, the Whiskey Exchange, Master of Malt, Distillers Direct, and also through Not on the High Street and thefoodmarket.com. We're also in a number of regional outlets. So um, the Westmoreland family, they do Gloucester and Bay services, um, and just generally farm shops in our region. So we're in the West Midlands, so we're across Warwickshire, Oxfordshire, Somerset. Pretty good. We've only been going six months, so we're kind of... Yeah, I can see it says batch two on the side. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but it's it's also 48% by volume. It's 40. Oh, 40? Yes. Goodness for that. Oh, it's got a dot in the middle of the zero. I thought it was 48. No, it's My mistake. Don't listen to me. That's good. And and Catherine... That's the rum talking rather than... (laughs) And your background is you've been in the the food sector. Uh, You worked for Littles for a little while and and all that sort of stuff, you know, as as a a sort of food specials um, coordinator. And you're now managing director of of Burning Barn. So this is yours, isn't it? It's all down to you. It is, yes. I'm the only full-time employee, which is... (laughs) intense at times but great I've always wanted to have my own business so it's a real dream come true and and, um did you have an experience of setting up your own business nope not at all no we um we had to jump through quite through a few hoops with HMRC and things like that and it was and and that's because of the tax on booze and and then you have to register because you're well, you're not distilling, actually, but you're... We're compounding. It? You're a compounding, yes, yeah. We've so we've got you have a compounding licence and yeah. warehouse licence and everything. So, yes, it was a tough learning curve and certainly had uh, put a lot of work in behind the scenes to get to the, like, the uh, point of being awarded our licences. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it's part of the journey. It's all so just to help other people, so roughly from the, I- from the moment that you had the idea, how long did the licensing process take? About six months. So from when we sort of applied, um, you have to have a visit and then follow up with that. So, yeah, roughly six months. So mm-hmm. from idea to first sale, re- in a real sale outside of, you know, your circle of friends, mm-hmm. how long did that process take? That was nine months. Nine months. That's pretty quick. So we did, we did crack on, yeah. 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 <laughs> we just kind of thought this is the right time. We've got to go for it now. And really drive it. it. Exactly. You've got to drive it through. Yeah. yeah. And, and and so what did you what did you think about the branding? You know, is, have you got that in your background for the food business, or did you have a vision of what it should look like? Um, my husband Harry had a really strong vision, mm. and I had the awareness that it was important, very important, to get the branding right. So we we did. We were lucky enough to find an exceptionally good branding agency in Bristol, who we just got on really well with, and they got it immediately. 
Um, so we spent sort of three to four months developing that and we were really happy with it. We felt it really represents exactly what we're trying to do and, and say, so... Yeah, and just to describe it then, so that so we have got this almost like a flagon, uh, you know, glass bottle. So you have got the, the little sort of handle, round handle, um, on the shoulder of it, and then we've got a we've got a label where there's the burning barn, obviously, and and then it just says, uh, what does it say? Something from the fire, forged, forged from, from the, the fire. fire, which is great because that is the story. That is literally what that is. is the story, um, <laughs> and smoked rum made in Britain, and and there it is, nice and plain, simple, and you can see the colour of the liquid because. The, the colour of r- this rum is so beautiful. Mm. Why, why would you hide it? Exactly. That um, just sets it off. Really simple, isn't it, Ollie? You're, you're, it's lovely. You're, it's you're, lovely. I mean, it's a very strong brand visual. Um, it would be nice to see, you know, more rums on, on sort of mm. off-licence shelves. I do think, actually, you know, yeah, they're giving absolutely. a lot of space to gin nowadays. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know, if you're saying it's the same size category as rum... It's 1% you know, difference, yeah. yeah that's, that's gin. That's gin. Yeah. Amazing, isn't it? It's mm. unbelievable. Yeah. Just over far fewer brands and a much bigger and, and presumably then um, with the history of rum and, and the sort of profile of rum, you can go through incredibly different tastes. You know, exactly. you can have something incredibly, I presume, sour or old and, and then stuff that's much younger and maybe sweeter. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously through the categories of white, clear rum to gold and, and dark and then aged, it's a huge variation in flavour profiles. I would suggest there's even more of a profile than the gins, actually. Mm, in yeah, terms absolutely. of the, the, the you know, a bit like sherry, you know, you can get sherries, mm, can't you, from mm. one range to another. It's, yeah, it's, it's probably the same with rum. Yeah, and if you were to age it in, um, you know, an old wine cask versus a whiskey cask, that mm. would just completely alter the flavour profile as well. So mm. there's lots of options and exciting ways to develop so, it. I certainly feel though in the gin world, there's a real community. You know, I mean, you know, we we as a business, a great British chefs, come into contact with a lot of the people who have produced gins is there the same community in the world of rums do you know the other rum producers is there a kind of a, a group of you who are trying to push the dark spirit story well there's lots of festivals and opportunities for us all to get together so yeah i've met quite a few in the in the sort of six months i've been doing this um and there's a few champions certainly of people doing it doing events um sort of in their spare time as an, an as an aside just through purely a love of rum and wanting to get get it out there so yeah, I would say definitely it's probably a smaller community, but definitely a, a really fun and exciting one to be part of. Mm, very good. So if you haven't tried rum for a very long time or you've never tried rum at all, I suggest that you have a go. Uh, if, you, if you're dabbling in gin and some vodkas. And over the age of 18. Obviously. <laughs> um, of course, I guess I'm not saying. Um, and uh, it's uh, burningbarnrum.com. But as you say, yes. it's on Whiskey Exchange and all sorts of other mm-hmm. things. All our so stockists go, are on the website. So, so. go and check that out um, and, and have a little taste. Um, thank you very much for bringing that in, Catherine. Welcome. Um, we're going to have a little break for a couple of minutes. And then we're going to be talking to Holly Shackleton of Speciality Food Magazine. And we're going to be plundering your brain to find out what all the latest trends are, and what your vision is of the foodie future. Yeah, good. We'll be back in a sec. You've joined us at a very good time. Oh, yeah. Yes. Our savvy software development guys have just qualified for a chunky government cash payout thanks to our new friends from Breakthrough Funding. Yeah. Sorry, that just slipped out. Government handout? No, not a handout, but recognition for our clever thinking. Now it'll be down to you to help us kick it further forward. Leave it to me. Your company could qualify for Innovation Cash too. Find out online now by answering just six qualifying questions at BreakthroughFunding.com. Yeah! And we're back in the studio having drunk lots more rum. 
because it's our job. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. I know, I know, I hate this job. Um, so we're joined by Holly Shackleton of Speciality Food Magazine, and we've just been talking to Catherine Jenner of Burning Barn Rum. Now, um, Holly, we're going to talk about your magazine in, in a minute. Um, the magazine represents quite a lot of independent, mm. um, doesn't it, uh, people who've got their own farm shops or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, they're not really selling rum, are they? Why, why do you think that is? I think basically because independent for independence, it's so important for them to stand out from the multiples because if you can buy, um, you know, if, if an independent is stocking Captain Morgan and they're charging an extra fiver for it, then, and, you know, people could go down to the local Sainsbury's to get it so much cheaper. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah, and the only way you're, you're going to survive is to do something different than the yeah, supermarket, Yeah, exactly. Mm. You've got to stand out. And I just don't think that there are artisanal, apart from Burning Barn, <laughs> there just haven't been these artisanal rum brands before. So independents are really kind of going to town with the gins and the craft beers and the, the English wines and things like that to really set themselves apart uh, the drink aisles apart from the multiples, but it hasn't been possible to do that really uh, when it comes to rum. So, would you advise um, somebody like Catherine to, to 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 go that sort of deli farm shop route as well as the, you know the other outlets that she's in? Because actually, they will be looking for it. Yeah, definitely. That um, because I, mean, I can't name any other artisan rum brands apart from the ones you were talking about. So it's quite difficult to name them, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Um, Definitely. Um, independence uh, is such a good route to go down. Mm. Um, because as well, the thing is that you don't get with, um, you know, the Whiskey Exchange or Ricardo, any kind of bigger businesses like that, who is great to be on, on their books. Independence will stand out from that because they'll kind of tell your story because mm. there's a smaller team working there. They work there because they love food. They'll get to know you. They'll get to know you. Yeah. They're stocking the product because they genuinely love it and they want to tell your story. And the customers that go to these shops want to know the story. And, and they want to go home and show somebody something different that you can't get in a supermarket anyway. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Mm. And do so, you think the, the independent stores are looking for craft rum or do you think they are not even aware that it exists? And so it's the, the onus is then on the producer to tell that story and make them aware. I think the onus is on the producer right now to tell the story because I think, uh, you know, practical sense, independent retailers are incredibly busy. They don't necessarily have that much time to be out in the market kind of searching for things. Mm. Um, so, you know, if I ran a deli or a food hall or a farm shop, and, you know, a, a local rum producer popped in and said, hi, I'm doing this. You know, taste, try it. Taste my smoked Tell, rum. They're taste be, my smoked rum. They're not going to say no, are they? Day <laughs> and, uh, and you'll kind of get that connection. And they'll think, actually, you know, there is this market out there. Mm. Um, but I think they're just unaware. I mean, I, I was unaware, to be honest. Yeah. And Ollie, if you were starting a, a, a new business and, and, and you know that everybody's going crazy for gin, would you then enter that market because everybody's crazy for gin? Or would you go into something that, that, that's sort of under, you know, marketed and, and there's not much around of it? You know, if you, if you loved food and drink and you were thinking about what business to go in, would you go the gin route or the rum route or another drink route? I think, was I think one of the hardest things to do in the world of marketing is change consumer behavior. Mm. And I think the challenge outside of the world of gin is, you know, there is an established drink, gin and tonic, that people drink regularly and is now, you know, it is kind of, it's understood in the foodie community of people who 
will you know pay the kind of premium money required for you know top end gins they're prepared to spend you know 30 40 quid on a bottle of gin and try different and stuff. try different stuff yeah. because in the end it's going to be quite good and you'll find your favorites and you'll have a range of three or four mm. gins but in the world of rum that just hasn't happened so i think the challenge remains with these sort of things is how you create new behaviors and you know at the moment if you look at the data when people are giving dinner parties most of the time they are serving prosecco that's what people do and you know the spirits. I think I think twenty five percent of foodies make a cocktail in in the last twelve months at home. So it's not a huge number. Um, and the reality is, is that what the cocktail industry struggles from, that the food industry doesn't struggle from, is there isn't a TV program dedicated to mm. making great cocktails. You oh, turn on TV. We should do that. Well, That's it's really hard to do. It? It's really Ooh, hard to do because of all the kind of like all the sort of you know rules around what's shown when. But it, they, people have tried it. But where all the money goes is. You know, the Master Chefs, the Mary Berry shows, etc. Yeah. So that's where it all is. And there's no discussion on those of cocktails. The focus is purely on food, the dramatization. We can all name around this table 20, 30, 50, probably in my case, 150 chefs in the UK. How many bartenders could we name? Much, much fewer. Don't know any. Well, and, that, and that's the point. So, so that there are not these cult personalities who are driving the behavior. And I think. So, so I think the challenge outside of gin is there isn't the ecosystem mm. um, and there isn't yet the consumer pull. So I think it's a harder, you know, you're going to have to really, you know, no pun intended, but, you know, forge ultimately a market out of one that basically doesn't exist. There isn't, there's a premium whiskey market, there's a premium gin market, but as we're saying, there isn't a premium mm. rum market. For the consumer. But I think in bars, there is uh, an opportunity to go in with an amazing standout product that becomes the, uh, you know, the obvious choice if you're going to stock one or more interesting rums mm. absolutely i think for the consumers as well you know we know people change their drinking habits as they get older so there are there is a group of consumers who are drinking captain morgan's bacardi and coke and perhaps by the time they get to 25 30 they've got more disposable income they might want a to bit progress more onto something mm. i like exactly the idea that 25 30 premium. is older yeah shut up <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, do carry the on. Millennials. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. And then they sort of migrate to mm. something. So a bit we're more. aiming to provide that, yeah. you know, step up uh, and premiumization. Mm. So going back to you, Holly, and uh, uh, so you're representing, uh, well, your magazine is trying to, to highlight some of the things that are out there for, for, for that group of people. So that's yes. deli owners, farm shop people. Uh, yeah. what's, what other sort of readership do you have? Um, so we basically go out to the vast majority of the food industry really um mm. so even though our core readership are it is independent retailers so it's kind of delis up to selfridges fortnums um partridges or you know everyone basically mm. but also across the food industry they read us so i know that we go to kind of buyers at the multiples and sainsbury's and um, a lot of food producers read us as well and is that because um, people are trying to find out what is new what is trends and they're just trying to keep up, up you know up to speed with it yeah definitely and also i mean the food industry is just changing so quickly um how do you keep tabs on it oh yeah. yeah it's uh it's so difficult to keep up with it so i guess that's kind of why speciality food is there um and it first launched 15 years ago and was kind of purely written for that core readership whereas now i've been editor for a couple of years and I think it's so important to be representing the whole industry. So um, street food markets in London, there may not be a very direct you know, link to an independent retailer in Surrey or whatever, but actually they're informing the industry. Yeah. So everyone needs to be aware of it. Um, 
it's best job in the world. Mm. <laughs> well, no, this is quite a good one. Oh, actually. And this one. Yeah. And, and so you've got some amazing writers for you, haven't you? And that's important because you've got, you, you know, you've got very top end, well recognised writers. Um, and, and that gives you credibility as, you know, as well as some of the other news stuff that you have. Yeah, so we have um, Charles Campion, the amazing <coughs> Charles Campion, one of my f- favourite people in food, uh, who's obviously kind of restaurant critic, he's been on MasterChef, um, he's just a brilliant man, really knows his stuff, um, and is always entertaining as well. Um, and then we have uh, John Shepherd, who is the MD of Partridge's, obviously kind of renowned London retailer, um, who really really knows his the business as well and you've got cheese and dairy because yes. because that's a big chunk of, of any food retailers independent yeah. isn't it of their sales yeah love cheese and dairy so we have <coughs> um every issue we have a couple of people um who kind of work in the food industry um cheese industry they could be kind of making it or selling it um and so the issue which came out a few weeks ago um the april issue we were speaking to um, an urban cheese maker, Gringa Dairy, and also an urban cheese kind of distributor. Um, so, yeah, kind of covering all of the cheese industry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how big is cheese in terms of, you know, having a retail presence? British people love their cheese, don't they? They do. Everyone <laughs> loves cheese. I love cheese. Um, <laughs> Apart from the vegans, they're not so keen. Yeah. But they um, like vegan cheese. They do like vegan cheese. They do. Uh well, I think cheese is is so, so important. Um, and I think our readers and their customers want to know the story behind the food they're eating and that they're selling. And I think cheese is such an easy way to build that connection uh, because it could be that, you know, a farm shop has a local cheese maker. The farm is based five five miles away. <laughs> so people can, people can be kind of visiting the farm Meeting the cows, uh, meeting the cheese maker. <laughs> meeting the cows. Love Hello. meeting cows. How do you do? <laughs> cows yeah. are always very polite. Um, <coughs> and yeah, it's just an easy way to kind of get that connection and tell mm. that story. Um, and also, British cheese is just absolutely superb. Ollie, have you got think, thoughts and yeah, trends I mean, I think, on I cheese? Think what's interesting about well, about the broader sort of speciality space is I do think when you look at the data of what's changing at the moment is that while no one is you know, seeing a massive shift away from large retailers and people not shopping at those places. What has clearly happened is certain categories are now being sought outside of those retailers. And I think what's interesting in the speciality world is how you then identify what are those categories where you can really make a difference and you can really engage consumers. And obviously cheese is one of those great categories because ultimately there are an amazing array of local producers who are doing lots of different things. And also it's very easy to trial at a retail mm. because I think mm. ultimately one of the reasons that people go to speciality <coughs> retail nowadays is the entertainment element of it it's about you know if you're into food if you are one of your Britain's 13.6 million foodies you are looking for an engaging retail experience you're not just going to go there and pick up a cellophane wrapped cheese you want to try things you want to talk to people you want to experience things and the truth is therefore products with narratives and products that you can give people to try with narratives are easier so it's easier to demo cheese than it is hunks of beef, mm. you know, which have as great stories, but ultimately it's easier to, to narrate that's, the story around. That's interesting though, because from a branding perspective, you know, packaged goods are very easily to are very easy to brand, and you can associate your story with a visual image. Whereas I can't think of any off the top of my head any any cheese brands, perhaps with the exception of uh, is it Neil's Yard mm. that does cheese from Marjorie uh, and, and Love for Marjorie. Uh, but in terms of you know, you see all the cheese in the counter, and there's 
you know, there's lots of interesting stories, lots of interesting tastes, but you can't look at them and go, oh, that's the blue one with the circle logo that I know from. Yeah, you know, and the problem with that is that none of the staff know anything about it. And who would you well, ask not in anyway? The multiples, and who no, would you no. ask anyway when you're walking yeah. down an aisle? But when you're in a farmer's market, you can actually have a really intelligent conversation. And I think actually the lack of branding in that category is actually its strength because it does mean that the person behind the cheese counter has a real role to play because yeah. you go there and you go, I can fill in that gap. Tell me, tell me what I should buy. What have you got here? Mm. And you look at a whole bunch of sort of whites and yellow things and you go, well, I like goat cheese or I like cows or whatever it happens mm. to be. The other thing know. for me, though, is the way that they keep it. So, so if you're going down an aisle, supermarket aisle, they're all going to be they're all going to be refrigerated exactly the same temperature, which may not be the right thing. Mm. They've always, <coughs> almost without exception, covered in cellophane, which is definitely not the right thing. And then they've got the packaging on the outside. Whereas if you do go to Neil Neil's yard or you or you go into La Fromagerie, they've got a cheese room or, or, or they're they're pumping, you know, water through through the room to make sure it's you know, you've the got right the temperature. right temperature. But but more importantly, you've you've got the um you know, it's damp in there, which is mm. cheese really gets um doesn't do it doesn't do it any favours when it's when it's dry. Even more so than the temperature. Um, and they just know how to look after it. Mm. And I'm presuming, Holly, that when you've got a um a farm shop and a deli, they can do that as well. They know how to look after the cheese because it's not all wrapped in plastic. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's something that uh, requires some investment mm. um, and it's something that if um, a retailer is kind of sourcing their cheeses from somewhere like Neil's Yard or from Brindisa, Brindisa has just launched, um, just opened a um, kind of cheese maturing room at the we end love, of last we year. We love Monica, she's oh, been on the show. She's amazing too. Um, <laughs> So it can be done for you if you're sourcing from the right places. Right. Um, but, you know, we're actually just finishing off um, our kind of cheese special for this year. Um, and we have a feature about affinage. So ways that kind of smaller scale retailers can look after their cheeses so they reach the customer in optimum condition. Because yeah, I, I, I like Tunnocks. <coughs> great producer, great English producer. You can go to Neil's Yard Dairy. They'll, they'll cut some tunnocks. It's absolutely delicious. Now I bought that in Waitrose. It was not a patch, no. but be, because they they've had to wrap it in cellophane and and and, and leave it on the shelf for goodness knows how long, and it's dried out completely. Yeah, I think. And it, yet it's the same producer, and that's not actually representing that producer very well. No. I don't think. Well, I think. I mean, it's particularly probably with soft cheeses because it's so. I think the balance is so delicate. Um, from one day to the next, it can turn from being not quite ready to overripe. And it's all dependent on the conditions that it's kept in. Um, I don't know if you know about uh, Quicks did an experiment with, who was it? Uh, not Westcombe, Montgomery's. Um, Beautiful so cheddar. Mm -hmm. Amazing cheddar. Yeah. And naturally, they're very different, even though obviously they're made using the same technique, same kind of recipe. Um, but just um, the fact that a Quicks cheese was sent to the Montgomery cellars to mature and vice versa. You just en ended up with completely different cheeses. Mm. Um, and it just shows the the power that kind of the ageing of a cheese has. You could say the same with the butchers as well, couldn't you? Yeah, and I think, you know, this is what I think is exciting about the speciality sector is there are areas like meat, there are areas like fish, there are like cheese that are just, you know, when you go to those places, you get different qualities. I mean, what do you think of the areas that speciality should be focusing more on that you know they're not focusing on as much yeah. as they could be i think probably actually the main kind of sector that may be missing from independent retailers is actually fish, fish yeah. uh but i think it's quite <coughs> difficult for them uh because obviously fish has such a short shelf life um 
probably requires some kind of expertise, which whereas meat and cheese, they're kind of established skills. You know, you'll have a butcher who's been there for 10 years, will know what they're talking about, will kind of train someone up and um, pass those skills on. Whereas I don't think those the fish expertise is there as much. I think there's also more concerns about the sustainability of fish yeah. and sustainability is another big you know, hot topic, even though it's such a wide and vast topic. Uh, and so perhaps people are thinking, oh, well, I keep hearing all the news that says, you know, all the, we're overfishing and it's not sustainable. So maybe they're buying less of it as well. So it but meat's no more sustainable. I completely I mean, agree. Yeah. And I think that's what's interesting is if, if, you, if, you, if you feel the area they're not focusing on is fish and one has to assume that the trend is going to be on from a meat perspective towards, you know, fewer better you mm. know, in terms of the number of meal occasions you mm. eat that have meat in it. Actually, that does pose quite an interesting threat to the speciality categories, which is they've got to find ways to find alternative ways to engage their audience. If people start to eat less meat, then that that is a major What's going to fill the void here? Yeah. Absolutely. So, so, and to put it on its head, um, I, I know with Ollie's research for Great British Chefs, um, we're seeing the rise of the baker and the butcher and you know some of the independents, which is great. Do you, do you think people are migrating from supermarkets and saying, well, I'm going to get this at my supermarket, but I'm definitely, if I've got some time, going to get cheese, going to get bread, going to get, you know, meat somewhere else. Are you picking that up? I would say so, yeah. I think there are those kind of core sectors, so the bread and the meat um, and the cheese, where people realise, actually, if I just, you know, take half an hour out of my day, (laughs) you know, I go to the supermarket anyway, but I will make a special trip. Um, to buy these products from someone who really knows what they're talking talking about, who can give the, you know, make that connection, um, give a taste um, of, of the product. Um, I think that that's definitely growing. Good. That kind of, but mm. I wouldn't say, I mean, some delis, some, you know, farm shops or independent retailers, they are selling washing powder and kitchen roll and things, but I can't imagine that people will stop buying those things at supermarkets so I think people will always be going to supermarkets because of the convenience but But you you pick that up in your research don't you yeah Yeah. I mean look the online thing is growing but you know but number of people who claim in the UK to regularly visit a butcher increased six percentage points in the last research we did and look every time there's a two sisters type catastrophe um, you know it shakes the foundations of trust in major retail and in major producers and the fact is that goes from you know across every sector while the, the, mm. the, while the, the culprits may be in the meat industry that doesn't mean that any other industry where there's mass produced items isn't also affected mm. and also some of the the meat and cheese uh, and fish even are, are also going online so you don't have to uh, trade off with the convenience of oh i have to go to three different places to go and get my all my different ingredients you can you know use a platform like farm drop or heartier or uh, something like that fair catch i think does sustainable fish um, so yeah, the choices are out there. It's uh, and I guess certain people are looking for them, which is uh, should be That's encouraged. And, and just a slight um, a change in in um, subject area, really, Holly. I know you do these um, the, what you call these sort of central buying guides, and, and you showcase multiple regions. Um, in terms of highlighting the best local produce and standout retailers, is there any particular regions in the UK, and by which I mean the total UK, you know, not just England, that, that you are really impressed by in some of the things that you've seen? Oh dear. Uh, I love putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, feeling the pressure now. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously every region has its specialities, every, but is there anything that you're really quite excited by? Every region is brilliant at telling their story. I'm a Suffolk girl. Suffolk is 
beautifully foodie and I love that. Um, but I would say being half Yorkshire, I'd say that Yorkshire uh, do kind of foodie businesses and, and independent retail really well. Uh, the West Country is amazing as well. And Scotland, actually, um, they just have so much going on. It's a really, really exciting place. Um, and also, uh, for the past few years, I've been judging at the, um, I can't pronounce it, but the Irish Food Awards cannot pronounce it in Irish. <laughs> um, and they've got a growing kind of foodie industry as well, like speciality food industry. Yeah, yeah. So um, I really, really can't single out a particular well, region. I, I'm quite keen on the Northwest. I think it's because it rains such a lot. But actually, they have the most amazing grass. So, so if you go up there, they have the most amazing grass, which makes some great cheese makers, mm. you know, naturally. And also great ice cream makers. Yes. Uh, and of course, there's uh, all the lamb, beautiful lamb up there, um, particularly, you know, towards Cumbria. Mm. Um, and then th there's the sort of, you know, Morecambe Bay, where you've got all the, you know, shrimp. Mm. Shri so every region has a particular... Yeah. You know, classic uh, uh, twist, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Every region has something to be proud of. Um, and so that's why it's so difficult for me to a kind single of something single out. one out because everyone, you know, every single county does something brilliantly. Mm. I think I think for me, the thing that often happens is that we spend a lot of time talking about London. And, you know, I understand that Selfridges sell food and I understand Partridge sell food, but I've never met anyone who actually shopped at them. Um, because they are, you know, they a are tourist destination. Well, I mean, and I mean, actually, I think my mother occasionally goes to Parchers when she wants something very specific. Um, but that might say me more about my mother. Um, but you know, I think it's actually where the, where a lot of the really exciting stuff is happening is not in the major food halls of London, which are obviously sourcing from all over, you know, the best of the world, but actually those hyper local places mm. that are saying, as you say, I'm going to tell the story of Suffolk, I'm going to tell the story of Yorkshire, and actually really bring to life who the local producers are and champion much smaller businesses, much shorter food miles and really doing something interesting. And that, I think, is actually where the innovation is. So that I'm going to forget the name of the lovely guy we had on a few weeks ago who um, ran the farm shop that's near you um, oh. home. Oh, McNaid's. Yeah. And he really works hard to make it local. And, and then that's what people like. They like that. They don't, you know, oh, I didn't realise we had a cheesemaker 20 miles down the road or, or, or somebody's producing... You know, flavoured liqueurs just just around the corner. I, yeah, I'm also Ludlow actually this weekend, yeah, and they've got yeah. that amazing think food. People feel there. loyal to that, That's don't what, they? Yeah. I think mm. there's also a huge opportunity, uh, kind of taking that one step further. Instead of saying, "Oh, I want to get into either the well-known food halls or the local independent retailers," is to just tell your own story. Like, mm. you know, with the power of online, you can be connected to, you know a really small but insanely passionate group of people quite quickly in a number of different ways. And so, you know, instead of relying on somebody else picking you up and putting you into their shop, just go and, you know, build your own platform. You could start selling that bread that you make with that dreadful bread machine that you haven't managed to master yet. Yeah, I'm sure the local community <laughs> would love to taste I'm, I'm, that. I'm, on the basis that the fromagerie is my local, it's my local shop. I have to say, I don't think they okay, need any on. more. Uh, and, and E5 bakeries. I'm, I'm addicted to E5. Oh, that's so good. For me, it's so amazing. And I, that's the problem. Is And this this actually, if, you're, if you are a real committed foodie, is that... Wait, he you makes actually, his own bread. Yeah, but... No, my wife does it. <laughs> but you've actually... The fact is, there are these amazing producers. And I have to say, when you go to someone like E5 and you buy an enormous sourdough and it's four quid and it's... I mean, God. I don't I mean, know how they do and that. how long does it take you to do? With well, the and how and bad is it if I do it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like a brick. <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there are certain special things I think are very hard in the environment. Yeah. It's great fun to try, and I love trying. 
because that's part of it. And it gives you an appreciation, actually, of how difficult it is to produce these things. Mm. And that's part of the game. But you served, you served Squirrel once at I dinner have, party. I have, yeah. I have. So, you know, I'm still looking for a really good Squirrel producer. It's, it's no reason why people don't come around to your house, you know, because... Yeah. It's because of well, the squirrels. We've not it's been invited, all, have we? Well, no, I'm not, I don't want to go. Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Well, if you didn't come, I'd definitely He's got squirrels. some good recipes to pull from. He's got some good cocktails. You can meet Flash. Flash the tortoise. Who is out, by the way, and had her first strawberries of the season this year. Oh, great. Let's you move on from Flash the tortoise. I think we've we? gone off track here. Yeah, we have gone off track. All right, back to you, Holly. So so um, I know you do these essential buying guides, and I know a lot of the um, smaller producers really, uh, smaller retailers really like this because it's a, it gives them a real showcase of, you know, this is what oil and vinegars are around, and this is what you should be doing, this is how you should store it, and all that. Can you tell me, you've done, recently, I think, done an Asian foods one. Now, yeah. I really like Asian foods. Anything in there that you really liked reporting on? Oh... I know I'm putting you Everything. on the spot uh, again. See, the difficulty is with these specific questions is I love all food. Yes. So, <laughs> mm. uh, I love Korean food. Ah. Um, and I you don't get much of it in Suffolk. Uh, so that's some <laughs> alas. So that's something that I would like personally to explore a bit more. Um, there's a brand called Man Food um, who do, they've done like a Korean barbecue sauce, which is amazing. Um, but, oh, I don't know. Sorry. It's just all those flavours and all those. I mean, it is good now because, I mean, joking apart, I mean, I know, Ollie, you do, you, you do some really good cooking and stuff, but you can get those lovely ingredients now, can't you? Mm. You know, from a Asian supermarkets or even main, mainstream, you know, delis and things, uh, which really makes it taste authentic, yeah. you know, those basic ingredients. I think that's what people... They never used to expect their food from other cultures to be authentic. And I think now, thankfully, that's that's growing that kind of hunger for the real experience. Um, and like you say, even supermarkets are selling kind of quite authentic stuff now. Mm. Um, so it's easier to get hold of the real deal and uh, the speciality market. People are really going to town on on these kind of unusual, not unusual cuisines, but you know, international cuisines that weren't in the market before. It's a really exciting time. But I think we've also seen the fact that Asian supermarkets to create a, a very broad category are becoming more and more popular because mm. actually, however much a local speciality store may well try and specialise, they're never going to dedicate shelf space to 15 types of yeah. soy sauce. And when you go to those kind of really, you know, amazing Asian supermarkets where there is just, you know, crazy types of flour and crazy, just things you go, what is this? And vegetables you've never seen before. I think that's part of the fun. Yeah, it is. Mm. It's exciting. As you say, it needs to be an experience, not, not you know. Well, you won't believe this, but we're coming to the end of the show. Um, I'd really, really like to say um, thank you for bringing your lovely rum along i think thank we've all you so much for having that. me Been so thank you very much that's Catherine jenner from burning barn rum i think we've we've told you already where we can get it from but if you just go onto the food talk website there's a link there we'll, we'll, we'll pass you through to that, that lovely stuff personally smoked i think uh, boys what yeah you? i would go smoked as well smoked if you're going to try the first one smoked, I, i'd actually well, spiced. I, I, I should go with the spice just because it's, it's probably an easier one to have in your cupboard if you've more versatile. Yeah. more accessible. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And if you want two bottles, buy mm. both. Yeah, yeah, I would. I'd buy one I of each. Um, it's definitely that. And if you're anything to do with the food industry and you're not subscribed to Speciality Food magazine, what is wrong with you? Uh, because this is <laughs> this is a really nice, easy way to, to really get a snapshot of what's going on, isn't it, and all the trends. Thank you very much. <laughs> there's there's online content that. as well. You don't have to get the yeah, magazine. No, no. There's oh, yes. loads of online content. Yeah. And to say the buying guides are particularly good. So... 
That's specialityfoodmagazine.com. And thank you for joining us, Holly Shackleton, who's the editor with your dream job. <laughs> Are you ever going to move from being editor? you just be there until you no, retire? No, 29 now. I'll be there for another... 50-odd years at least. <laughs> very happy. Yeah, very good. Um, and now, we are at the Food and Drink Expo next week, which is at the NEC Birmingham. Mm. I think you're coming for a day, aren't you? I'm Guy? coming for a day, I think yeah. you're coming for a day as oh, well, Ollie, aren't you? Yeah, love that because it means we can meet loads of people, look, look at lots of different sorts of producers and other people in the food sector. So if you're around, please come and see us on our stand, Food Talk stand, which will, will be there. Come and meet us. If you ever want to look see what Ollie actually looks like, do <laughs> trot along. I think you're the second day. If you want to see what guy looks like doing a trot along. <laughs> or just Google us. Or just Google us and then you can see the pictures. So please come and say hi if you're at um, Food and Drink Expo in Birmingham next week. Um, thanks again to my co-presenters. Uh, so that's the lovely guy. Thank you. Guy Lloyd. You're looking the guy. wrong way. Honestly, the, no. the, 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 burning, Lloyd. the burning barn I, is I think really she's kicking been in. the rum again. Yeah, it is, it is. <laughs> yeah. So thank you very much to Ollie Lloyd and he's Chief Executive of Great British Chefs. If you want a recipe, you need to go on there because it's the best place to go. And again, thanks Guy Routledge of Food Rush and Sapling Digital. Thank you very much. Looking forward to NEC next week, mm. aren't we? Um, and if you uh, know anybody that's doing something groundbreaking in the food sector, please get in touch with us uh, via Twitter. It's the best place, really. Uh, and that's at Food Talk Show. And if you want to listen to any of our hundreds of podcasts, go on to foodtalk.co.uk or you can listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, your podcast app, you know. So thank you very much. We hope we might see you at NEC. If not, listen to our special programme next week. And um, yeah, have a good week. Bye now. Bye.